From the European Broadcasting Union in Geneva, I'm Emilio San Pedro, and this is the Eurovision News Podcast. In our two-part series on Afghanistan, we've been discussing the efforts to evacuate endangered journalists from Afghanistan and what appears to be a bleak future for the free press there. Our commitment with the Afghan people is a commitment with them in all circumstances. In part one, my colleague Masa Aminolahi Zahedi spoke with Shabir Ahmadi, the former deputy head of Tolo News, Afghanistan's largest news channel, who shared his personal experience of fleeing the Taliban. Now, in part two, we hear from Dorte Olierik, reporter for the French TV channel France 2, who's covered all major conflict zones for more than 20 years, including Bosnia, the Central African Republic, Mali, and Afghanistan. And after that, we'll hear from Gypsy Guillen Kaiser, Advocacy and Communications Director with the New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists. First, over to my colleague, Laurent Fratt. So thank you for meeting with us today, Dorothy. Please give us a brief introduction of who you are and your experience of working in Afghanistan. Actually, I'm a reporter working in France television for 30 years. I have been covering many conflicts since 1994 in Rwanda and after Chechnya, Iraq or Mali or recently Afghanistan. Uh, I've been many times in Afghanistan. The first time it was 25 years ago and the last time it was two weeks ago. Concerning this recent trip to Afghanistan, did you notice any changes in the country? And were there any particular challenges that you and your team may have faced? Um, working in Afghanistan is each time different. Let's say, let's say each time a surprise, and not always a good one. We arrived uh, to Kabul by road from Pakistan, and actually we didn't know a lot about what could happen um, if the Taliban would let us go through the checkpoints or not, I had two French colleagues um, who took the same road and it looked uh, quite okay. So actually we didn't have any problems. Um, there was a lot of checkpoints in Afghanistan, but the Taliban stopped us and they looked um, into the car and um, they let us go usually. Uh, they didn't stop us and detain us, but... Um, uh, I had to wear a long black abaya hijab. Um, I'm not sure they realized I was a Western journalist. Um, and this was on the road. And in Kabul, usually they let us walk. Uh, we got a clearance uh, quite easily by Taliban Ministry of Information. And I had the feeling that all Taliban fighters received like a brief uh, from high authorities uh, to be kind, to be polite, let's say, with the Western media. Uh, mainly, it was uh, okay for work, um, except sometimes like uh, during women protests uh, that we have been covering, and we saw Taliban and Afghan women face-to-face in a very tense protest. At that time, we had to leave quickly the event because we felt that Taliban got upset 
and we're ready to arrest some Western journalists like us and take our video material and footage. So we have to, to run away sometimes. Uh, but in other protests, uh, Afghan journalists have been um, arrested and detained for a couple of hours and strongly beaten. But that, this didn't happen to um, foreign media and didn't happen to us. You spoke of surprises. Were you surprised with the way that things unfolded in Afghanistan recently? Oh, of course, everybody was very surprised. And, uh, but um, I, I uh, was on holidays and uh, I, was, I had the feeling that uh, Taliban were going um, quite, um, quite rapidly uh, entering the city. So uh, I left France one week before uh, I had to go there. It was interesting compared with 25 years ago when I was in Kabul at the arrival of Taliban. Uh, the first time in 1996, Taliban, for example, didn't look at me in the eyes. They were only looking at my translator. And at the opposite, they are now very connected. And they like video, pictures, even selfies. Uh, in a way, they have changed a lot. But uh, for Afghan women, I had the feeling that uh, they are still very, very conservative. And despite authorization, for young girls to go to school and then to university, I'm not sure they will continue um, because of high pressure on women. So they are pretending a lot, I think. This is a risk uh, uh, at the present time. As a Westerner in Afghanistan, do you feel like, as you were alluding to, that you received certain privileges that some Afghan journalists did not have? Um, yes, for sure. Uh, and actually, when we arrived in Kabul, we got clearance easily by Taliban Ministry of Information. And they were um, strangely very polite, very kind. You are ve very welcome. You will be able to do what you want. You can go wherever you want. Um, it's strange and a big surprise for us because we were not uh, thinking um, to be... Um, welcome this way. But actually, it's uh, most uh, words and words because uh, the time we wanted to go to Panjshir, for example, uh, they said, you don't need any special permit, you go. And actually, we couldn't go. We have been stopped like uh, many other journalists. So they are very, very polite, very helpful. And finally, um, some things you, you can do. That's, that's for sure. But uh, it looks like if they have been briefed um, by high authorities. Can you tell us more about what it was like to work with the Taliban on this trip? It was a strange experience working with Taliban, especially as a woman. But it was interesting compared with um, 25 years ago when I was in Kabul as the arrival of Taliban's. And once uh, I was in the back seat of the car with two male colleagues, and the Taliban stopped us in Kabul because he said it was inappropriate, indecent. He got nervous. He loaded his Kalashnikov and was very close to the car. He was screaming. My translator was getting scared, but he had the right reaction, calling a big chief in at Ministry of Information. And, and the guy spoke to the angry fighters. And things have calmed down, but this is an example of some some tensions of some complicated moment uh, that we had uh, in Kabul. But this kind of incident that can happen in Kabul, it's not so often. 
As someone who has spent a lot of time covering stories in Afghanistan, do you have colleagues who have reached out to you uh, for support and uh, wishing to flee the country? Of course, it was terrible because um, um, each time you're making an interview, um, the person are asking you to help them to leave the countries. And uh, some uh, translators who have been working with French army were asking us to help them to, to go away. And uh, not only this kind of people, a lot of artists we met, they all ask, um, please help us to, to go away, to run away this uh, regime and this uh, Taliban uh, time and the darkness um, promises for them. Um, like embassy, um, French embassy was not here anymore. Evacuation was top. It was very um, difficult for us. I mean, not to be able to help those who wanted to leave and still now they are asking me to leave and I'm trying and I'm sending a lot of emails to uh, uh, French minister of uh, diplomats and, and since uh, evacuation have been officially stopped, it's very complicated, very, very complicated. Tell us, as uh, we're almost out of time, what is your perspective and your thoughts on the future of a free press in Afghanistan? I'm not very optimistic, actually. Um, the first weeks and maybe months of Taliban power, they may pretend to give some freedom to media, but more to Western media than to Afghan media, that is for sure. But they also pretend, pretend to be modern, working with an Afghan YouTuber. But it looks like um, communication. It looks like communication time. Uh, I think we have to be careful to keep an eye on them, if not uh, press in Afghanistan, we return to dark times, that's for sure. There certainly is a sentiment that the Taliban is on the stage for the international community at the moment. Dorothy, thank you so much for your perspective and um, all of your hard work. Much appreciated. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Laurent. Now back to Emilio for his conversation with Gypsy Guillen Kaiser of the CPJ. Gypsy, give us a, a short introduction uh, of yourself and the work that you do with the CPJ. Hello, my name is Gypsy Guillen Kaiser. I am the Advocacy and Communications Director at the Committee to Protect Journalists. We are a New York-based organization that champions press freedom worldwide. And our work with, within the Committee to Protect Journalists is focused on leveraging our research to influence decision makers to protect and assist journalists and defend press freedom. Thank you. Now, we heard a harrowing and very emotional, a disturbing account of the situation at the Kabul airport. And you were in New York while all of this was happening, but very actively involved, weren't you, all of you at the CPJ? Yes, when a crisis like Afghanistan erupts, it is not entirely unexpected to us. We had started, first of all, we were tracking and researching and reporting on press freedom violations in Afghanistan, as we always do. Um, but we had seen an uptick of um, direct appeals for assistance starting in January. And this is something that our Asia team had seen and slowly made the rest of us aware that things were not 
really not going in the right direction. So we mobilized fairly quickly, fairly early. Nonetheless, the extent of the crises and the chaos around the withdrawal of U.S. troops as Kabul was taken over by the Taliban was very, very quick. And I think organizations like ours and others were, were really quite overwhelmed by events, but also by the wave of requests for assistance, very desperate requests for assistance. How many requests are we talking about, roughly? There were hundreds within a few days. I can tell you that in a, in a matter of perhaps five days or so in early August, we had a list of about 400 journalists, in addition to their families, who were in urgent need of assistance. In addition to that, our email inbox was over, quickly overflowing. And by the end of September, we were in the thousands of emails that were just flowing in. Because there was this intense international focus, this gaze uh, on the situation there at the airport and Afghanistan during the peak of the crisis at the point where the U.S. The deadline was looming closer and closer, and after the U.S. Uh, and its allies pulled out, international media coverage really changed, and, and to a large extent, as happens with news, the stories move on. Afghanistan will be in the news, but that intense focus isn't there any longer. How does that play into the situation for those left behind? There's two sides to this. One is it's, it's normal that the news cycle is, is fast and, and moves on. But I do think that there are people who are still dedicated to covering the Afghanistan story, and we are grateful for those. There is a humanitarian aspect to this story, broadly speaking, a financial crisis aspect, an international relations aspect that's still getting coverage in places, and, and by places I mean news organizations, outlets that are dedicated to covering these things. So we're grateful for that coverage. I think that the other side of the coin that's important is those journalists who are still in Afghanistan and their ability to report locally for local audiences, which is very important because they are the only real conduit to a local check on the Taliban's power. We're grateful for those who continue, and um, I think that it, the onus is on us to continue to tell the story of the, the Afghan journalists, in, in our case, the Afghan journalists, and the work that they are or are not able to do. Because when the Taliban took over, they did lead a concerted you could call it PR effort, to portray themselves in a different light, to say, no, this is going to be uh, a different Taliban, if you will. But some of the journalists that we are still in touch with are the local journalists who, who cover, as you say, the situation there every day. They tell of a, a different story. They tell a story of on-the-spot censorship by the Taliban of material they film and uh, veiled threats or, you know, the presence 
uh, of the Taliban being very uh, well known uh, to them. Is that similar to what you've been hearing? What we are hearing firsthand from local Afghan journalists and what our reporting shows is that the Taliban is not living up to its promises of respecting press freedom. The Taliban recently issued a multi-point set of rules governing coverage, which essentially leads to pre-censorship and um, is highly, highly problematic. We understand that international journalists are to some degree gaining, still have access to the country. However, we must remember that the 20 years of reporting done by international media in Afghanistan was to a large part very reliant, very dependent on the work of these local journalists and media workers who made that reporting possible. And are the efforts to get journalists to safety out of Afghanistan who feel threatened still ongoing? Yes, the efforts are ongoing. We continue to prioritize those individuals who are most at risk and who face immediate risk. But the efforts are ongoing, not just by us, but by other organizations as well. Now that we've got a, a bit of a perspective on it from that peak uh, period, how would you rate, for example, the way governments uh, reacted that you were trying to work with the US, UK, and others? I should say that the, the chaos was widespread. The chaos, the lack of information that could con lead concretely to a path out and concrete steps, has, um, that's, that's been widespread. I think overall we have suffered from vast inefficiencies and a lack of clarity, a lack of process. We have been vocal in the past about our inability to coordinate with the U.S. at the height of the withdrawal when it was we had been sending information and sending information and yet we were not able to get actionable instructions on what to do next. However, um, I think that hasn't been a, a unique situation that has um, affected the U.S. But I will say that things have improved, that we're gaining uh, some degree of clarity, and we're particularly grateful to the Qatar government for assisting with the evacuation and for receiving journalists in Doha. We're especially grateful to the Irish nation for so humanely and so efficiently resettling journalists and their families. And um, a few have made it to other countries as well, Germany being another um, place where journalists have ended up. But, you know, we're willing to work with anybody. We do not expect that the United States is going to resettle all Afghans who need to leave the country. We don't expect that Germany will do so or that France will do so or, you know, there's a, there's a whole wide world. So. 
I think for us, the prime concern here is being able to get the journalists to safety, to help them to resettle, and to make sure also that those who remain behind receive the assistance that they need to um, remain safe. And assistance also extends to pressure on the Taliban to make sure that they are held accountable and that these journalists are not beaten and detained and intimidated and harassed and threatened, which is what is going on right now. Gypsy, thank you very much for speaking to us. That really shed a lot of light on, on the situation with the journalists in Afghanistan and the difficulties they were facing. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, Emilio. Very happy to be here today. As we were saying goodbye to Gypsy, she said that one thing that had stood out to her was this requirement that they'd have to tell and read out to the Afghan journalists who were preparing to leave the country once they had secured passage for them. And the requirement was that they could only bring one bag with them. And she said, imagine having to tell someone that they have to pack their entire life into one bag. If you enjoyed this program and would like to support us, please consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also comment on EBU's social media platforms or simply tell a friend how to find us.